week's recording and I'm going to get it. I don't know if anyone, if anyone here. Oh, I can send it. I if you could. On email? Email. Uh, email. Yeah, sure, sure. I appreciate it. And maybe this week's, it might be this week's too, depending if this uh, comes okay, out. Okay, sure. I, I, I appreciate it. Thank you, thank you. Okay, so uh, this is kind of the last of the, the mini three-week session. And we were looking at uh, assorted topics in the Rambam Hilchos Molachim. That's really was the only common denominator. Uh, the first class we talked about abortion, which actually became more relevant a few days ago. Uh, last week we spoke about the particular order uh, that the Torah was given. And now we're dealing with our final topic, which is really a little bit of introduction about notions of Mashiach and, and redemption. And again, I'm not going to uh, automatically address uh, the controversial issues within Chabad or people have with Chabad. That's a separate discussion. But I just want to give you uh, basic terms. And a lot of you might know them. Perhaps some of you don't know them and the like. Uh, just so you'll get a sense of what the basic sources say. Now, the Rambam, of course, is not as authoritative as Chazal. The Rambam is not a Gemara. The Rambam is not a Medrash. But the reason why... Uh, almost everything about Mashiach, we always base on the Rambam, is because the Rambam is virtually the only authority that systematized all of the many, many, many different statements in the Medrash and the Gemara and in the Talmud dealing with Geula, uh, with redemption, and the Rambam kind of sorted them out and uh, determined which ones are considered to be halacha and which ones are not considered to be halacha. So although the Rambam is not the only word, there are other, other opinions on virtually everything, but the Rambam is considered to be the most important source on the Nyanim of Mashiach. And the Rambam devotes two full chapters, the last two chapters of his great code of Jewish law, the Mishnah Torah, he devotes it to the Nyanim of Mashiach, which is quite unusual in a halachic work. You know, the Shulchan Aruch does not have any chapters about Mashiach, and yet uh, the Rambam, the Rambam does. So first, let me introduce three terms. And, sh- and, show, I'm sorry, oh, and show you how the Rambam differentiates between them. Uh, term number one is Olam Haba. Term number two is Yemos HaMashiach. Term number three is Techias HaMason. These are three different stages in God's final redemption of the world. Olam Haba, which literally means the world to come, is also called the world of the soul, the world of the neshama. And that is, after a person dies and the body is in the ground, so God judges a person based on their good deeds and their averos and all the different things that they did, the totality of their lives, and the person may have to have a certain amount of time in Gehenna, which is a certain cleansing process. I think, by the way, it's helpful to look at Gehenna as kind of spiritual therapy by analogy to physical therapy. I don't know if any of you ever had an injury. I hope not. I hope you will not have one. But sometimes if a person severely injures their legs, let's say, so they have to go through excruciating therapy. And uh, sometimes it is so painful that the person might be crying and screaming to stop that therapy. And yet, you have to do it because that's the only way the person will regain function and be able to walk. Gehenna, without getting into exactly what it is, is not because 
God is angry, God hates you, God punishes you, uh, God wants to give you pain. That's not the idea. The idea is that God wants you to be connected to him in Olam Haba. God wants you to enjoy in an infinite way the radiance of being connected to him. But if our neshama is besmirched and filthy with all sorts of sins that we've committed, so we need to go through a cleansing process, it's not so much to punish us, it's the therapy that we need to be able to then connect to him in Olam Haba. So in that way, I think even Gehenna can be viewed in a positive way because it is kind of the necessary therapeutic process. And in fact, although Gehenna is often described as fire, but obviously we're not dealing with physical fire because a neshama is not a physical body. A neshama does not feel physical pain. You could take a neshama and put it in a fire, the neshama would not feel anything. But the fire of Gehenna is really the fire of feeling the pain of the consequences of our actions. In fact, one of the descriptions of Gehenna is that God makes us feel all the pain that we caused others in the course of our lives without the defense mechanisms that we normally have to give ourselves excuses. Meaning, Gehenna is simply experiencing your life without the excuses. And that could be a very, very painful thing. That's described like fire. Or some describe it a different way. These are Michelle, these are just Michelle, these are just uh, parables, you know, we don't really know. That Gehenna is like there are two videos you're shown. You know, you're given a bowl of popcorn and you watch the movies, but you're watching two movies at once. One is the life that you lived, and one is the life that you could have lived, the person you could have been. And when you see the two movies, that's very, very painful. Yeah. I, I, if I recall, I think there was a Twilight Zone like that, actually. But it would be it as it may, the life that could have been. There's a third mushal they give. These are all mashalim, you know, we don't know exactly. The third mushal that they give is Gehenna. Everybody is sitting at a banquet. Everybody, tzaddikim, rishayim, and nobody can move their arms. You can't bend your arms. So the Rishayim are starving because they can't bring the food to their mouths. But the Tzadikim are simply feeding each other. So if my arms can't go back to me, I can bend over and feed you, you can feed me. So the difference is a Tzadik understands that even with that difficulty, they can enjoy and, and have much joy in life. A Rasha is so egotistical that he doesn't even think of feeding somebody else. He just wants to... Uh, move his arms, uh, move his hands into his mouth, and that he can't do, so he suffers eternally. So be it, be it as it may, there is Gehenna, but after Gehenna, there is Olam Haba. Now, according to the Rambam, this is very important, Olam Haba is a spiritual existence. There is no physicality in Olam Haba. In Olam Haba, there is no body. In Olam Haba, there is no eating. There is no drinking. There is no banquet. Even though our sages use metaphors of banquets, that is just a metaphor for spiritual connection to God. The soul gets united to Hashem. And if you learn Tanya, you know how cosmic that union is because every soul is the breath of Hashem. Hashem breathes into us His essence, His breath. So that breath is part of God, but it's separated from God. 
and the greatest desire of the soul is to have that unity. So according to the Rambam, Olam Haba is the world of the soul. So in reality, the Rambam points out that using the term Olam Haba, the future world, is a little misleading because it exists right now. It's future for each person, meaning I am not there till I die. But it's not that it's a world that is gonna be created in the future. It's right now. It's where Nishamos go after they serve whatever you know, Gehenna was, was necessary in order for that spiritual purification. So that is Olam Haba. In Olam Haba, there are no mitzvahs that you do. You don't do any mitzvahs in Olam Haba. In Olam Haba, you are connected to Hashem based on the mitzvahs and the good deeds that you did in this world. But there are no new deeds or mitzvahs you can do once you're in Olam Haba. However, there is a concept that your children or your disciples can do things in your merit. That's the famous idea that, you know, when we celebrate or commemorate a yard site, the anniversary of a parent or whatever, so we talk about Eloi Neshama. May the Neshama, may the soul, have an aliyah, may it rise, because we can do good deeds and charity and Torah learning that can elevate the soul of someone who died, but that person themselves cannot. They're kind of stuck, meaning you're, that's why you try to do as much as you can in this life, because uh, you're not going to be able to do any more. Uh, the only exception is that in Kabbalah there is a notion of reincarnation, so uh, sometimes, but maybe very often, a soul will come back in a body to be able to do more mitzvahs. But you know, if that sounds like, oh, that's really good, that makes life really easy, you should know that the soul hates it. If a soul is given a choice to go to Gehenna or to be reincarnated, it actually chooses Gehenna. That's how difficult it is for the soul to come back to this earth. It's not something, it's not a cost-free proposition. Oh, I'll simply come back and, you know, and have a good time on earth and then be a little better this time. Uh, that's not the case. But it is brought down that most neshamos in the world are recycled. We are recycled souls. We've been here. Do you think uh, we feel things that are... Say again? Are, yeah. Is it possible that we feel things that are, I guess, that Gogol has gone through? Yeah, so this seems to be a machlokas. I've heard it said from some great people that they say there's no possible way that your present consciousness can break a wall into that prior life, meaning you don't know. On the other hand, I've heard other stories where people actually did remember. Now, there is a whole secular literature on past life recollection, people under hypnosis or whatever, they remember different things. So some people might say that that's proof of the idea of reincarnation. Others say that it's not proof because reincarnation doesn't work that way, so there has to be maybe uh, an illusion or a delusion or hallucination or whatever it is. So I think we're not entirely clear. I do recall an old Hasidic story of the Apter Rebbe, it was a Hasidic Rebbe, and he was the Chazan on Yom Kippur. And you know, on Yom Kippur, we recite what the Kohen Gadol used to say in the temple. So it says, This is what he used to say, right? So, he used to, so when he was davening, he would say, This is what I used to say, because he, he felt he was a reincarnation of the Kohen Gadol. So he did have a memory, memory of it. In fact, uh, someone I, I know wrote a book, uh, maybe, you know, maybe you know, she's a little, little bit of a well known author, Sari Yocheved Riegler. Look, I even wrote a, a letter for the book. Uh, in, in which uh, she claims that there are quite a few people 
who have memories of being reincarnated children from the Holocaust. I was going to say, because after the Holocaust, there was that girl who thought she was Anne Frank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Mrs. Riegler actually has a whole book in which she tries to document like several hundred people who have those types of memories. So uh, again, uh, all I can say is there's a lot about this world that we don't understand. You know, I'm not going to sit here and give you definitive answers, but these are just very, very interesting uh, possibilities to think about, that the uh, world is much deeper than uh, we, what we see on the surface, on the surface level. Yeah. A newborn, if like they pass away by like during birth, because they're like perfect, yeah. they go, there's no like aliyah needed. Like they just that's that's correct. That that's the, that's the basic idea that when a, a child dies, certainly in infancy and even before bar mitzvah, the concept is that they completed their mission. Maybe they needed to be in a Jewish home. In fact, then they have different yeah. stories about great great tzaddikim who like for the first week of life were raised by a non-Jewish uh, nurse for whatever reason. So they came back hundreds of years later and lived for one week in a Jewish home. And although the parents were grief-stricken, but the answer was that tzaddik just needed one week in a Jewish home. And then their existence would have been complete. And is there any way that we can do Gehara here? Uh, yeah. Do a cleansing? <laughs> <laughs> I think do a cleansing so when you do that too, like, you don't have to do the cleansing there. Well, well the truth is yes, absolutely. Does I mean, it cost uh, the cleansing in general? Yeah, this is what we call yisurin. Yisurin are the, the sufferings that we go through in life. Now, we don't seek them out. If you seek them out, that's, that's simple. You don't deliberately say, I'm going to hurt myself because I want to suffer. Yeah. But if God brings things in your life that are very, very distressing, one of the thoughts you can have that can help you through it is that this is a great atonement for my sins, and as a result, the Gehenim will be less afterwards because I got some of it in this, in this life, right? Um, so uh, that's one of the ways that we comfort ourselves. That's the expression in Yiddish when something happens. They say, let it be a kapara. Let it be an atonement. That's a Yiddish expression they say all the time. So zayna kapara and, and, and the like. So yeah, yeah, that, that's why a Jew tries to understand that everything that happens in their life can be a constructive uh, way. Okay, so that's Gehenna, but afterwards we have Olam Abba, and Olam Abba is, is, is wonderful. The only thing is, Olam Abba is infinite levels, right? So everybody has Olam Abba, but uh, the, the more righteous you are, the deeper, the richer uh, it is, and therefore one endeavors to have that connection to, uh, to God. Now, it's interesting, the Alter Rebbe talks about this, and in fact, in Tanya he even writes, it's so, it's so interesting that he, that he wrote it to it. He said, this is such a deep idea that I can't even fully express it in writing. It's an amazing thing. That's a very sister to think. In which you have to differentiate between Olam Haba as a true yearning to be connected to God, coming out of your love for God, versus the egotism of, I want to be close to God. In other words, one could look at Olam Haba the same way you look at winning a million dollars multiplied by a billion or a trillion. And that is, even Olam Haba could be perceived in an egotistical, selfish way. But the Alter Rebbe says that the tzaddikim don't view Olam Haba like that. They don't say, oh, I'm going to get this great Olam Haba for my mitzvahs. They look at it as, all I want in my life is to be connected to Hashem. And this will be my ability to be connected to Hashem. 
but it's not that I want to be connected to God because that's such a great reward. It's I want to be connected to God because I want to be connected to God. Right? So it's, it's hard to differentiate, he says, between that and an egotistical versus, uh, you know, mamash, to be connected to Hashem. But okay. So all of that is even now, right? A person dies, right? You had a great grandparent who died, uh, whatever it is, 50 years ago. Then there's Rat Hashem. They are in all of my right now. Now, Yemosa Mashiach is very much in this physical world. This world. Not all of my at some point in time, and we, we believe and we pray every single day, we don't know when, but at ev- any single day except for Shabbos, Yom Tif, and Erev Shabbos, and Erev Yom Tif, uh, Mashiach will come. Now, who is Mashiach? Mashiach literally means the anointed one. And by the way, in Tanakh and in Chumash too, Mashiach doesn't always mean the Mashiach. For example, anyone that's anointed with oil, can be called Mashiach. David HaMelech is called Mashiach, but not only David HaMelech, because Mashiach will come from David, but all, all of the kings of Israel are called Mashiach, and the Kohen Gadol is also called Mashiach because uh, he's anointed with oil. And even non-Jewish kings are sometimes called the Mashiach of Hashem, such as Koresh. Koresh was King Cyrus of Persia who allowed the Beis HaMikdash to be rebuilt. He is called the Anointed One of God. Right, so we have to differentiate between what you might call small mem Mashiach, which just means some type of king or ruler anointed with oil, that's what the word Mashiach means, versus the Mashiach, which is the capital M, uh, which is what we're talking about. So what is Mashiach? So number one, Mashiach is a person. Number two, Mashiach is a descendant of David HaMelech, of King David. Now, there are some sources that actually say David himself will come back as Mashiach, okay? But generally speaking, the Rambam does not seem to follow those. The Rambam says he will be a descendant of David HaMelech. He will be righteous. He will be a prophet nearly as great as Moshe Rabbeinu. So the Rambam does say uh, no one will be ever greater or even equal to Moshe, but Mashiach will be a very, very great prophet. Uh, Mashiach has certain jobs. He will gather the exiles of Israel, the Jewish people, and bring them back to Eretz Yisrael. He will build the Beis HaMikdash. I don't mean he physically will build, but he will coordinate the building of the Beis HaMikdash. He will reestablish the Davidic monarchy, Malchus based of it. Uh, And he will bring in he will not be king of the world. I mean, countries, there'll still be a France and an England and a Germany, but they will acknowledge the Mashiach as a spiritual leader, and he will usher in a wonderful regime of world peace. And these are the prophecies uh, in Yeshayo in particular, that one nation, in fact, this is on the United Nations, uh, in English, uh, one nation, lo yisa goyo goycherev, lo yilmeduod milchama, one nation will not raise the sword against the other nation. Uh, they will not wage war. So the days of Mashiach will be a wonderful time, uh, a time of uh, Binyan Beis a time of ingathering of the exiles. By the way, Chazal tell us, even when Mashiach comes, there'll be many Jews who won't want to go to Israel. They'll say, oh, it's so nice we have a Beis That's really nice. Uh, I'll visit for Pesach to bring the carbon Pesach. But I'd rather stay in Miami. My house is bigger. 
that's certainly the case. Your house will be bigger in Miami than it'll be here, especially with all the Jews. And God is going to have to drag us, some of us, to Eretz Yisrael. So it's not like everybody's going to run to Eretz Yisrael, but God is going to bring everybody, everybody there. So that's the good part of Mashiach. Building of the Beis HaMikdash, world peace, kibbutz goliath. Uh, the Jewish people and really the whole world will turn to Hashem do mitzvahs however the Rambam has another point that life in the days of Mashiach is not going to be supernatural you're still going to have to go to work you're still going to have to wait for buses and indeed the buses will be slower then because be more crowded uh, people will still get sick, although there'll be blessings of health, and people are going to die. Indeed, Mashiach is going to die. Mashiach will be succeeded by son of Mashiach, meaning Mashiach will usher in a hereditary dynasty of Malchus based of it, which will go on and on and on and on, but Mashiach alone does not live forever. People will still die. The Rambam says there'll be arichos yamim, people who have long lives, but there will be, there will still be death even in the days of Mashiach. So there are wonderful, wonderful things, and then there are other things that are going to be normal. Uh, this is the Rambam's famous opinion, olam kamin hago noheg. The world will run in accordance with its normal way. Now, many Rishonim do argue with the Rambam. The Ravid points out, how do you understand the verses in Yeshayo that talks about the lion will lie down next to the lamb, right, etc., and uh, that's a miracle. But the Rambam understands that that's metaphorical. That just means there'll be world's peace. The aggressive, belligerent nations are not going to attack the weaker nations. It does not refer literally to lions and lambs. Lions will still kill lambs, etc., because that's olam kamin hago noheg, yeah. If the Rambam believes that the world will run naturally, then, I mean, unfortunately in our history we've had that the Jews were up, and then once you got really high, we fell really low. Um, does he think it's possible that we'll have another? Yeah, so that, that's an intriguing idea, but, but it does seem that, that Mashiach is, is really the last stage, meaning to say, in that sense, there is, a cer- there is a certain supernatural aspect about it that the Jewish people will never again leave, leave Hashem. So that, that's, that itself is a miracle. But in terms of, you know, having to get a job and, you know, you going to school, <laughs> you're still going to have to uh, well, do you something. you to retire at 65 now. Uh, yeah, you probably could retire earlier. Yeah. Wait, so it's the same world, just no one's trying to kill us in the street? That's basically it. Well, well, well yeah, but, but you have to understand <laughs> but that. But we're still dying, we're still going to be broke, and there's no vacation days. Well, but once again, once again, you know, well... Uh, if there's a greater feeling of closeness to Hashem, that makes everything bearable. There, there's a rabbi who wrote a novel about this, uh, about life in the days of Mashiach. I don't remember the name of it. Uh, what's the rabbi's name? I don't remember his name either. But um, it's so interesting because he actually writes about the frustrations people are going to have. I mean, let's imagine you're not from, but Mashiach comes. So the laws of Israel are going to be the laws of the Torah can't keep Shabbos. So he has that thing about people who are still going to be complaining, oh gee, I can't, you know, can't go to the beach anymore since this Mashiach guy came. <laughs> so so some, it's going to be not religious people Mashiach come? Huh? People will be not religious Mashiach come? Initially, initially. You know, eventually they'll come to Tshuva, but there, there'll be a process involved. 
Now the question becomes this. The question really becomes, and this is where the Rambam doesn't help us as much, and that is, the Rambam says, if he gathers the exiles and if he builds the temple, you know he's Mashiach. But how do I know to follow somebody who makes that claim? In other words, somebody says, I'm Mashiach. At that point, he hasn't done anything yet. So what makes me follow him? It's a little strange, meaning if people follow him and these things get done, after the fact, you know he's Mashiach. But we don't really know that much before the fact. Now, the only conditions are the following, that he has to be righteous, he has to be from Malchus based David. It says he fights the wars of Hashem. Now, that's an interesting phrase. What does it mean to fight the wars of Hashem? Are we referring to Mashiach as a warrior, or does it mean fighting assimilation, fighting ignorance, and the like? Now, again, I, 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 you know, this is a Chabad seminary. I, I don't want to get into difficult issues, but I, I just want to be honest with you. The issue of the Rebbe being Mashiach, and certainly there's no question, let me just say the following. Every generation must have someone that would be the Mashiach for that generation. It has to be that case. Because Mashiach could come today. Mashiach could have come 100 years ago. Mashiach could have come 500 years ago. Mashiach could have come 1,000 years ago. Now that means 1,000 years ago there was somebody in the world who, if the generation would have been worthy, would have been the Mashiach. Yes, it must be because there must be a Mashiach every moment of the world because Mashiach is not going to come from heaven. Like a physical Mashiach, a person, a human being, a person. At this point, at this point, it can't be. So, certainly, there is absolutely no question that the Rebbe in his lifetime absolutely could have been Mashiach, no question about it. Because even though he didn't fight the wars of God in the sense of taking a gun and shooting, but Milchama Hashem is understood as fighting ignorance, fighting assimilation, bringing the, the, the light of Torah to the world. Right? So he's a descendant of David HaMelech, a tzaddik, a person of Ruach HaKodesh. Right? All, all, so the truth of the matter is, all of the qualifications were there. But the big question, again, I'm just saying it's this question, just so you know the question, I'm not, I'm not here to say any opinion on it at all, is... So he could have been, and maybe was for sure, the Mashiach of the generation. But Gimel Tammuz came. Yeah, you're going to have Gimel Tammuz in just a few days. So the question becomes, this is the big, big issue that's tearing apart the Chabad debates and people outside of Chabad debate. Once a person dies without initially accomplishing the Messianic redemption, can that person come back as Mashiach? Or does it now have to pass on to somebody else that's alive in the generation? The Rambam says the following. The Rambam discusses Bar Kochba. Now, who was Bar Kochba? Remember, the, base, the, the second base on Mikdash was destroyed by the Romans in the year 70. Around the year 135, 65 years later, the Jewish people had a second revolt against Rome. And that second revolt is called the Bar Kokhba Revolt because it was led by a man called Bar Kokhba. And that revolt was initially very, very successful. They, they, the Jewish people recaptured 900 villages. 
from the Romans. They minted coins. You can get a Bar Kokhba coin. But eventually, the Romans retaliated with ruthless force and destroyed, killed many more Jews than were killed at the time of the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. And this was the fall of Betar, which also was on Tisha B'Av, 65 years later. Now it is recorded that Rabbi Akiva thought Bar Kokhba was the Mashiach. Rabbi Akiva thought that this man Bar Kokhba was such a great hero that he is the Mashiach. And Rabbi Akiva supported Bar Kokhba. In fact, he gave him the name Bar Kokhba. Bar Kokhba's actual name was Bar Koziva, Shimon Bar Koziva. But Rabbi Akiva called him Bar Kokhba, which means son of a star, because Mashiach is described as a kocha of a star. Bar Kokhba was killed by the Romans. Bar Kokhba was killed by the Romans. So the Rambam's language was that Rabbi Akiva mistakenly thought Bar Kokhba was Mashiach until Bar Kokhba was killed and then it was known he was not the Mashiach. That's what the Rambam says. So the critical question is, what does that mean he was not Mashiach? Just because he was killed? Maybe he'll come back in the resurrection and be Mashiach. So many understand, many, again, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm being a journalist here, I'm not being a posek, I'm not being a rabbi even, I just want to report the facts. Many understand the passage in the Rambam that once a messianic figure has died before he's rebuilt the temple and then gathered the exiles of Israel, he may have been a potential Mashiach for that generation, but he is not the Mashiach because he's not here anymore. It has to be somebody else that's flesh and blood. Others, others, interpret the Rambam differently, and they say that the Rambam doesn't just say Bar Kokhba died, he mentions Bar Kokhba was killed because of the sins of the Jewish people, and that's a different idea, and that person can no longer be the Mashiach, but that does not apply to a natural death or the like. So because of this, there can be a little bit of a discussion. Can the messianic figure come back from the dead or not come back from the dead? This is why, and so again, you now, so when you read all of the different arguments, uh, at least you know where it's coming from. It's based on trying to interpret the passage of the Rambam by Bar Kokhba, right? The Rambam does say that because Bar Kokhba was neharag biavonos. He was killed because of sin. It's not clear, his sin or our sin? Even that's a little ambiguous. That disqualifies him from the messianic uh, 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 figure. Uh, does that apply to a Mashiach who died? Be it as it may, I can tell you this, in the uh, late 1970s, when Chabad first started talking about the Rebbe as being Mashiach, somebody ran to Rabbi Moshe Feinstein and said, Chabad is saying the Rebbe's Mashiach, uh, we have to do something about it. So Rabbi Moshe said, and what, what would be so bad if he would be? He says, that would be a wonderful thing. What, what is there to complain about? Uh, so you have to understand all of this perspective that uh, as a potential Mashiach, 100%, 1,000% was the case, the big machlokas is what happens after Gimel Tumas. Okay, and there are different opinions. There are different opinions. Again, here too I wrote a letter. I, got, I get flack for it. Uh, there was a shaliach who wrote a, a sefer trying to show that Mashiach can come back from the dead. 
that a messianic figure who died can be Mashiach, and he, he marshaled different sources. And I wrote a, a letter that this is a legit, I mean, I didn't say he was right. I said, this is a legitimate discussion for Torah thought. This is a discussable issue. It should not be dismissed. It's kind of a lukewarm endorsement, but I, that's what I wrote. And uh, I, got, I got attacked from people. How dare I you know, take sides in this type of controversy? Okay? So, again, my goal is not to push you in any direction. My goal is to simply show you the debate. What is the source of the debate? What is the source of the discussion? Yeah. Does every sect of Hasidim or, or in general Yiddishkeit have their own rabbi? Well, every, 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 every sect has their own rabbi, but, but the notion of Mashiach is, is uh, there are, Chabad is not the only one. There are other sects. But, but most Hasidists do, do not, uh, do not uh, consider the rabbi Mashiach. So it's Chabad and some, some others, some others. Uh, Breslau was that way, Breslau with Rav Nachman, uh, still has Rav Nachman as a messianic uh, figure and, and the like. Can you repeat the Rambam's, what did the Rambam say on the Bar Kochba? What was that sentence that he said? Yeah, the Rambam says that Rabbi Akiva thought Bar Kochba was Mashiach ad until Neharag Biavonos, until he was killed because of sin. Now, first of all, the because of sin is very ambiguous. Does it mean he was killed because of his sins? Or does it mean he was killed because of our sins? But the critical point is, is the Rambam making the assertion that once you're killed, once you're dead, you're no longer Mashiach, or is it only because he was killed rather than died, or because of sins rather than other reasons? Right, so that's gonna be the question, how you answer it. Now, another source, against the Chabad position is Ramban, Ramban. Ramban is Nachmanides. Uh, and here is the context of this. There is a famous document that's called Vikuach HaRamban. This is the disputation of Ramban. They even made a play on this. Uh, this is where the Ramban had a debate with a Jew who converted to Christianity and became a priest in which uh, this was in front of the king of Spain, the king of Spain. And uh, this Jew kept on quoting all the biblical verses that show that Jesus is Mashiach. You know, they're, they're the ones that Christian missionaries uh, quote, etc. And the Ramban was debating and uh, exploring and answering, etc. And indeed, it was like a public debate. And uh, the Ramban was adjudicated the winner of the debate by the audience. And the king uh, liked it. The king said, I never heard a person who so eloquently defends things that are so false, meaning your Judaism is false, but you're a great defender of it. Now, the Ramban got in big trouble on this because the Ramban uh, was guilty of discrediting Christianity and uh, some of the priests were pushing for him to be killed, etc. So that's why the king bargained for him to be exiled, and that's why he went to Israel. He went to Israel because... That's the good news. The bad news was, well, the good news was he won the debate. The bad news was he got kicked out of Spain. The good news was that brought him to Eretz Yisrael. Right? The, the whole interesting point. But the Ramban made a point in the Vikuach Ramban that Jesus could not be Mashiach because Jesus did not rebuild the second temple or the third temple and Jesus did not bring the Jews back to the land of Israel and although Christianity posits a second coming, that Yashka is going to come back and finish the job, 
Ramban says that we do not believe in the second coming. Now there, that's even a more explicit proof than the Rambam, that the Ramban does not accept the notion of a Mashiach who dies and comes back. But, but, but again, Chabad has written about this. The Chabad literature says that the Ramban is not the final word on the subject, and you could find other sources that make a contrary point. So I think it is fair that the Ramban is pretty explicit. They don't deny, no one denies that, but they say that uh, the Ramban is not the only authority. So Rev Lieberman, that's the book I just referred to, gives you the Abarbanel, he gives you other Makoros on this particular issue. So again, I, I hope nobody uh, takes, takes offense at, at what I'm saying. Uh, I just want you to understand the background of the Mashichas versus the non-Mashichas in terms of the basic sources of what is Mashiach and who is uh, Mashiach. And, and, and the like. And every generation must have a potential messianic uh, redeemer. Uh, people do ask me, can a woman be Mashiach? Uh, you know, it's an interesting question. I do not have a conclusive proof that that couldn't be the case. But, you know, it doesn't seem to be described that way, but, you know, who knows? There might be a lot of surprises uh, down the pike in all sorts of different ways that we can't always, we cannot always imagine. Okay, but it is true though that once Mashiach does build the temple and it brings back the exiles, Mashiach will die. So eventually Mashiach will die and be succeeded by the uh, hereditary succession of Mashiach, just like Malchus based of it. Now, here is the Wait, thing. That's a question. Yeah. Isn't the point that when Mashiach comes there's not going to be a concept of death? Okay, so that's, that's really not true. Uh, th- that's the third step of called Techiyas HaMesim, meaning to say, when Mashiach comes, the Rambam does say, the world is still going to exist in a natural order. There'll be much, much blessing in the world and God will be perceived in a very vivid way, but people will still die. And when people die, they'll go to Olam Haba. So Olam Haba continues to exist concurrently with the Messianic era in the sense that after you die, you know, you go to Olam, Olam Haba, and the like. So they're going to come back to live a little longer and then die again? Well, I'll, I'll get, I didn't get to the third stage. I, I, I'll, I'll get to that. In other words, the coming of Mashiach standing alone is not yet resurrection of the dead, except maybe for Mashiach if you take that position. Because Mashiach will come, the dead are still going to be in their graves. They haven't come back yet. So that brings us to the third stage, right? The first stage was Olam Haba. Uh, the second stage was the coming of Mashiach, the days of Mashiach. The third stage is called Techias Hamesim, which is physical resurrection, the union of the soul back into the body that brings us back alive. Now, when will that occur? So here we have a very unusual machlokas between the Rambam and everybody else. The Rambam has, strikingly, an atypical interpretation that's not followed by anybody else. This is the one case where most people do not follow the Rambam. And this will be very, very surprising. According to the Rambam, Tichiyas HaMesim is exactly as you described it. At some point after Mashiach comes, maybe it'll be a year after Mashiach comes, and maybe it'll be 10,000 years after Mashiach comes. All of the dead are going to be revived. But that's not for eternity. They will be revived. They'll live 
maybe another 70 years or something, and then they're going to die. So same words, body, same situation. Same body. Now, the question becomes, of course, all sorts of famous questions. If you've been a Gilgal, if you've been in five different bodies in this world, uh, which body will you come back as? Will you come back as the last body because that's where you accomplished your mission? Will you come back in five different bodies, etc.? Uh, there are a lot of questions about how do you understand physical resurrection together with Gilgal. Uh, there are different opinions. But the point I want to make according to the Rambam is Tichiyas is not eternal. The only thing that is eternal is Olam Haba, the world of the soul. The world of the body is simply God demonstrating his koach and his might to unify body and soul. It's like splitting of the Red Sea but it's not the final stage, as most people understand it. Now, in this connection, I do want to say that the Rambam is absolutely a das yochet. He is an isolated view. According to the overwhelming views of all the Mekubalim, all of the Kabbalists, for sure, all of Hasidus, not just Chabad, all of Hasidus, and really all of the other Rishonim, Techiyas HaMesim is the end of the road in the sense that it is the unification of the spiritual world of Olam Haba into the physical world of Olam Hazah, in which there's no longer going to be the world of the body and the world of the soul, but through physical resurrection. This world itself gets elevated and upgraded into Olam Haba, which will be the eternal existence of bliss that will never end. So according to the Mekubalim, Techiyas HaMesim is the final eternal stage in which not only the soul but even the body has that closeness to Hashem. So the Rambam has a very different view of resurrection of the dead. According to the Rambam, Olam Haba is the only thing that's forever. And again, I think in some ways that's because the Rambam kind of always diminishes physicality a lot. The Rambam could not understand the notion that somehow the physical body is supposed to accompany you in Olam Haba. So he looked at Tchiyas HaMesim as in itself a physical, I'm sorry, a temporary, temporary and ephemeral phenomenon. Okay, so this is the three stages of what you might call Jewish eschatology, Jewish end of days. Olam Haba, Yemos HaMashiach, Techias Hamesim. Okay, and uh, according, now of course, it would appear if I learned that Techias Hamesim is the final stage, the, the Mashiach dynasty will continue to exist in Techias Hamesim as well. We'll have a base on Mikdash, we'll, we'll do all of those mitzvos and the like. Now, one very important issue is will we have a Yetzer Hara when Mashiach comes? Uh, will we commit sins? Uh, so there are different sources. There are a number of Mamari Chazal that say when Mashiach comes, the Yetzir Haro will be slaughtered. The Yetzir Haro will be dead. We will only do good. We will only do mitzvahs. We will only serve Hashem. We're not going to have a Yetzir Hara anymore. And that's a great, great, great blessing. On the other hand, that creates a lot of problems because isn't the whole purpose of life I mean, this is what the Tanya is about, Sefer Shalbenonim, in which we have a Yetzir Hara, or Nefesh Bahamas, whatever, you, whatever term you want to use. And it's pulling us down. And we fight the battle. And our whole accomplishment 
in life is fighting that battle. I mean, it's like saying, what would be the point if, uh, you know, Kaddish uh, Baruch just put you in a room, uh, I mean, I can't, I'm thinking of just trivial examples. Let's assume that your job is to play chess. Okay? And uh, God puts you in a room where you always win 100% of the time. You know, that would get boring after all. There's no challenge. There's no struggle. There's no effort. How could there be? What would be so wonderful? It is so wonderful. How, like, I don't think anyone wants to go work now when Shia comes. Like, we did our job, and now we can actually enjoy life. Yeah, no, but here, okay, so here's the question, though. Ultimately, the enjoyment of life is Olam Haba. See, you can even ask the question, what exactly is the purpose of Mashiach? Because Mashiach is not my ultimate reward because I'm going to die when Mashiach comes. I'm going to go to Olam Haba. Olam Haba is my world of pleasure. Mashiach is in this world and you still got to accomplish things by doing mitzvos. In fact, the Rambam's language is very instructive. The Rambam says, what is the purpose of Yemosa Mashiach? To enable us to get more Olam Haba by Torah and mitzvos by removing from us the distractions and the difficulties and the obstacles. Hear what's going on here. The Rambam does not say Mashiach is the reward. This is very important. The Rambam says Mashiach is the removal of hindrances and obstacles and difficulties. So it's easier for me to do more mitzvot and more chesed and more good deeds, so my olam haba is going to be greater. Very important. I would, I would double underline that statement. So Mashiach is the means towards perfecting myself. So the question I would raise is, don't you get more perfected by a struggle than the absence of the struggle? Meaning, if the goal of Mashiach is to perfect you, then maybe it's better to have challenges. What if like, we're perfect and then it's just like a sprinkle of like, perfect extraness? It could be. That, that might be an approach. The, the approach basically is that until the Mashiach comes, we got to achieve our perfection by struggle, by work, by effort. We need the Yetzir Hara. We need the Nefesh Bahamas. But once we've earned the right to that reward then we just need to purify ourselves a little bit more and Mashiach is to get us over the top. That, that might be a way of looking at it. In other words, it's almost like um, the uh, pre-admission uh, preparation to medical school or something, meaning you deserve to go to medical school, but you need to take... Uh, right, right, you need to take a course in biology before you start it, right? So that's the, the final course. Okay, that's a possibility. But again, I, I want you to understand, don't confuse Mashiach with Olam Haba. They are two very, very different ideas. Olam Haba is the world of pleasure, the world of reward, the world where there's nothing more for you to do. Yemosa Mashiach, we're still supposed to do mitzvahs. In fact, the Rambam makes the point. I, th- I think we talked about it last week, I don't remember, but the Rambam makes the point that all of the mitzvahs are still going to apply when Mashiach comes. It's not going to be, you know, you don't have to daven anymore. You have to daven, you have to keep Shabbos. You have to keep the Yom Tovim. Mashiach will have all of the mitzvahs, right? So it's still a time of accomplishment by doing mitzvahs. Yeah. So on Hashem, then, what is Mashiach for him? So... Right now he wants to... Yes, yes. So, so again, to use the language of the, the Alter Rebbe, 
Mashiach is the ultimate dira betachtainim, right? If the goal of creation is that God should have a dwelling place in this lowest world, so essentially what we're doing in our lives is we're clearing away the garbage, we're clearing away uh, all of the trees that are blocking it, so to speak, and then Mashiach is the actual dira Hashem has in this world. This is the dira betachtainim, uh, is what Yemos Mashiach is, and that's. Uh, Hashem's ultimate desire, right, his so ultimate why, yearning. Why would we die and go to a place like of just be a soul in um, Havad? No, because at some How point, no, at some point, Hashem, Hashem rewards you for getting the job done. In other words, you accomplished a certain tachlis, you did the job. Now Hashem is going to reward you with that infinite connection uh, to Him. So it's kind of a reward for a job well done. Hopefully, can, hopefully. Can there be like a second generation, like? Someone that passes away during the Mashiach period just is dead forever, 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 forever? No, no, I, I think we have to assume that anyone who dies uh, during, before Tichiyas HaMesim, well, after Mashiach, will come back okay, by the final. During period. Mashiach, like... Well, well no, once, 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 except according to the Rambam, who says once they die, they die, uh, most say Tichiyas HaMesim is forever, so whoever gets revived is never going to die again. So... Oh, but just people that are living through Mashiach that didn't die yet are going to die. But they're yes, going to live forever. Yes, that's correct. So we should want to die now to live forever? Well, no. Even if you die after Mashiach comes, you will then be revived when Tichiyas HaMesim comes. So you will live forever. So everyone's living forever. Yeah, yes. But then, you, but then, who, then who said it was only like a longer life? No, no, I just meant I just meant that the Rambam has an unusual opinion. The Rambam's oh. unusual opinion is okay. that nobody lives forever. I mean, the Rambam actually says the Chiasamesim is a revival, but nobody will live forever. Meaning they'll die where after that. Where does he get that from? Um, it's interesting. I don't, I don't know where he gets it from. Uh, there's no particular source. It seems to be his logic that he does not regard the body as capable of any type of eternal connection with God. And therefore, the eternity of my connection to God can only be via my soul. And therefore, he says, by definition, resurrection of the body can only be temporary. But all of this seems, I mean, yes, it's not supernatural in his opinion, but the soul's, I guess, a supernatural thing. So if he believes in the soul, then how does he not believe in the physical? Well, God God can do anything, but he basically separates between the body and the soul. He says the the soul is the breath of Hashem, which, which is by definition eternal. The body is by definition uh, ephemeral. So even if there's resurrection, it cannot be a permanent phenomenon. But that's, a, a, that's, yachid, right? that's not the main, that is actually not the mainstream understanding of resurrection of the dead. So now let me move to a different topic about before Mashiach comes. You know, before Mashiach comes, our Chazal tell us it's going to be a very, very difficult time and uh, it's described as Chavlei Mashiach. Now, this is a very uh, exact expression. Chavlei are labor pains, birth pains. The idea would be just as before a woman gives birth to a child, there are painful labor pains that you go through. Uh, And the pain is a precursor to new life and growth. So too, the Messianic era is going to be preceded by a lot of pain and a lot of suffering, and these are called Chavlei Mashiach. 
So that's a great comfort to us because as we go through different sufferings in the world, and I'll discuss what they might be, uh, if one realizes these are, these are the labor pains that bring Mashiach, then one can have a certain comfort in that. Uh, now, specifically, in the books of Yechezkel, right, the Navi Yechezkel, and in the book of Zechariah, there are certain wars that are described before Mashiach comes, and they are described as the wars of Gog and Magog. Okay? Gog and Magog, and they will take place in Megiddo, which is the center of Israel, Megiddo, and Megiddo uh, in the Christian translations is Armageddon. I don't know how you get Megiddo from that, but Armageddon, which is always used as the final you know, stance, is simply Megiddo and refers to Gog and Magog. Now, just to be sure you understand the term here, it is not the war of Gog against Magog. Gog and Magog are not opposite sides. Rather, a man or a person called Gog is said to be the king of Magog who will have a consortium of nations against Eretz Yisrael and Jerusalem. And uh, the war will be bloody and last for a number of years. So obviously the $100 million question is, who is Gog? What is the, who is Gog and who is Magog and what countries are there? So the only hint we have is they are from the north. They are kingdoms of the north. And the precise identification of Gog and Magog and what it refers to is shrouded in mystery. Uh, by the way, Christian writers are into it much more than Jewish writers. Christian writers like to identify every current event by connecting it to Gog and Magog. Um, most Chachamim, most Rabbanim, generally do not get involved for reasons I'll, I'll, I'll get into it, although recently people have been doing a lot of it in Eretz Israel. Uh, some say Gogu Magog might have been World War II. Maybe the Holocaust was Gogu Magog, because certainly the devastation against Am Yisrael was extreme. Some have identified Gogu Magog as the Soviet Union coming from the north. And there's even a statement from the Vilna Gaon 250 years ago that when you see the Russians moving into the Crimea, which is eastern Ukraine, uh, uh, eastern Ukraine? well, Ukraine, is it eastern or western? I don't remember. Uh, then get ready for Mashiach. So that's why I'm coming the war? Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll come after, the, after these wars of Gog and Magog and the like. There's another tradition from the Vilna Gaon that's really scary that the war of Gog and Magog will be a war that only lasts 12 minutes. Now, the question becomes, what type of war could only last for 12 minutes? Everybody dies. It's a nu uh, it's nuclear war. Nuclear. A nuclear war could last for 12 minutes. Oh, I don't like that one. So our hope would be that whatever Gogu Magog struggles Am Yisrael will go through, we've already had them. That would be our prayer, that we're not looking for something, God forbid, worse coming down the pike. But we don't know. Uh, now, uh, it is said that before Mashiach ben David comes, there is actually an earlier Mashiach who comes. Very enigmatic, very mysterious. And he's called Mashiach ben Yosef. And Mashiach ben Yosef is supposed to get killed 
in the wars of Gog and Magog. And Mashiach ben Yosef paves the way for Mashiach ben David. But I want to say the Rambam does not mention Mashiach ben Yosef. Doesn't mention him at all. And the Rambam also talks about Gog and Magog and he says the following warning. He says, we are told that before Mashiach comes, there will be wars, there will be persecutions, there will be deaths, there will be starvations. But we cannot match up events with the biblical prophecies because we will not understand the meaning of what's happening to us until Mashiach actually comes. Meaning, once Mashiach comes, we will then be able to interpret in retrospect what each thing was. But as it's happening, you just never know. And the Rambam says one should not spend a lot of time in that type of speculation because they don't bring a person to love of Hashem or even reference of Hashem. Meaning, uh, you know, Mashiach will come, we pray every day, we hope every day. And we're batuach, we have trust in Hashem's mercy, but we can't and shouldn't get involved in detailed messianic speculations. Now this is an important thing to know because particularly in Eretz more so I think in Eretz than in Chutz Uh if you look at the internet, for example, you'll see all sorts of people with using gematrias and uh, combinations of letters and names and, you know, Trump is encoded in some parsha about Geula, uh, or whatever, or Trump is the last American president, uh, or Netanyahu is the last Israeli prime minister, and uh, people bring in the Russia and the Ukraine, and people are very, very hyped up about trying to find messianic symbolism in everything. So I just want to point out that Bezras Hashem, all of this should be true, but the Rambam says we should not get overly involved in messianic speculations, because if, they, if it doesn't happen, people, God forbid, could lose their faith. And uh, number two, we don't really know what's going on. And number three, they don't make you a better Jew. That's so an interesting point. To, like the whole argument between Chabad, No, that's a very, that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very different thing. For Chabad to say, you know, we, we want Mashiach now, we want Mashiach, we're calling him Mashiach, that's praying to Hashem. No, I mean more of the Mashiachist versus anti-Mashiachist arguments. Yeah, well, those, the, well, yeah, I mean, in some ways, uh, the Rambam might say it's not for us to get involved in. Uh, I understand. Uh, but in defense of Chabad, if they feel they know who Moshiach is, they can talk about it. But the Rambam is talking about when you try to predict when Moshiach is coming. You don't, you don't have a person you're just trying to predict. Then he says, when he comes, you'll know. By the way, there's something from the Alter Rebbe, which is directly against Chabad's claim, but, but the Alter Rebbe said it as a joke, so I'm not going to use it against it. <laughs> <laughs> but if you take the Alter Rebbe's own words, it's impossible that the Rebbe could be Mashiach. Again, but the Alter Rebbe said it as a joke. Uh, someone asked him, will Mashiach be a chassid or a misnaget? So the Alter Rebbe said, for sure, Mashiach will be a misnaget. <laughs> because if Mashiach would be a chassid, the misnagdim wouldn't accept him. But if Mashiach will be a misnaget, the chassidim will accept him anyway. So he says, so Mashiach can only come as a misnaget. <laughs> Dr. Rebbe said so. But again, I, I, say, I, th- I think it was uh, said in a spirit of, of humor. But okay. Alrighty, so uh, this is the idea of Gog and Magog. Now, an interesting point is, though, that Gog and Magog can be circumvented. This is extremely important. Meaning the process that Mashiach has to come through cataclysmic tragedies 
is one scenario. But if we can bring the Mashiach by our good deeds and by our tshuva and by our mitzvahs and by our Abbas Yisrael, we can either avoid the process or at least short-circuit the process, meaning some of the suffering has already happened, but at least we could stop it in its track. So it's very important to know that all of these tragedies, Gogu Magog, and uh, the death of Mashiach ben Yosef, whatever that exactly means, are not inevitable. There are alternative pathways in which Geula can come uh, through goodness and righteousness. And that's why it behooves us to try to bring, try to do tshuva ourselves, that's the first thing, and try to bring as many Jews as we can to pathways of repentance because that way we can circumvent. In other words, the point is, Mashiach is going to come ready or not. Mashiach is going to come. I mean, no matter how bad we are, we will not stop the coming of redemption, which is great news. That's great news. But the downside is, if we're not deserving, it will come after the process of Chavlei Mashiach. That can be very, very devastating. So we want to be... We want to peace. Chavlei is the birth pains of Mashiach. Gog and Magog. So, so the good news is, no matter how bad we are, Hashem has a geula at the end of everything. No matter how bad we are. But the bad news is, if the geula comes when we haven't done tshuva properly, then it's going to come through Chavlei Mashiach, Gog and Magog, all of these difficulties and the like, but we can circumvent it by a different path of tshuva. And in particular, it actually says that keeping Shabbos is a special bracha to avoid the sufferings of Gog and Magog. And in fact, um, I don't know if you would remember this, but in one of the Shabbos in Miros, uh, there's this phrase, Mechevle Mashiach Yutsalu Lirvacha. That means from the birth pains of Mashiach, you will be saved with salvation because of the merit of keeping the Shabbos, right? So that's something to uh, keep in mind, uh, the wars of Gog and Maga. Now, there's another point I, I want to bring out about this, and that is, let's go back to the very, very beginning of the Torah. Uh, it mentions in the beginning, uh, right, uh, God created heaven, Shemayim Baaretz, heaven and earth. And then the, the second Pasuk of the Torah describes what the world was like. The world was empty, astonishingly empty. Vohu, confused, jumbled up. Choshech, alpine to home. Darkness over the face of the depths. And the spirit of Hashem was hovering over the waters. Where did you get the waters from? That? Okay, those are good questions, but okay. So here's what the Medrash Rabbah says on that Pasuk. That this is alluding to the four kingdoms that enslave Am Yisrael in the course of our history. That when it says the world was empty, that's a remez to the Babylonian Empire that will destroy the Beis Hamikdash and make the world empty. Vayu, confusion, is the kingdom of Persia that conquered Babylonia. And Persia wanted to kill us. That was Haman, wanted to kill us. And everybody was confused. Darkness, 
is Greece that conquered Persia because Greece made us dark with all of their decrees of Antiochus that we couldn't keep the light of the Torah. And the face of the depth is the Roman exile that goes on and on and on and on and never seems to end. It's the longest dullest. The Babylonian exile was 70 years. The Persian exile was 52 years. The Greece exile was like 150 years. The Roman exile is almost 2,000 years, still going on. So these are called the four kingdoms, the four kingdoms that enslave the Jewish people. Bavel, Paras, Paras is Persia, Yavan, Greece, and Rome. And it is said that we are still in the Roman exile today. Our exile is Gullus, Rome, and Rome, in turn, is said to be descended from Asaph. So as a result, this Gullus is often called Gullus Edom, the Gullus of Edom. Edom was Asaph's other name. Now, just in terms of basic pshat, why would we call our exile the Roman exile? I mean, there is no Roman Empire. I mean, Italy, awesome. Italy is a tiny little country, and Rome itself is long gone. So why do we still call our Gullus the Gullus of Edom? You, you They're the last ones. Yeah, so number one, they're the last ones in the sense that even though they're not around anymore, but they destroyed the second temple, and the second temple is not, has not been rebuilt, so we're still suffering from Edom. We're still suffering from Edom. That's one idea. The second idea is that Rome eventually became the center of Christianity. In fact, the Pope is in Rome. Right? The Pope, is in, the Pope officially, official title is the Bishop of Rome. He's a bishop, like the Bishop of Indianapolis. There's the Bishop of Rome. So Rome became the head of Christianity, and Christianity was the dominant ruler over Jews. To this day, most Jews are in Christian countries and the like. And number three, uh, Rome is really the source of Western civilization. For example, the alphabet, the English alphabet, uh, is the Roman alphabet, etc. And the laws and other institutions are from Greece, but the Romans took them over. Right? So for various reasons, we are still in the Gullus of Edom. This is called the fourth Gullus, the Gullus of Edom. And Daniel had a vision of a great statue. The head of the statue was gold, and the uh, torso of the statue was silver, and the uh, legs, I'm sorry, the arms of the statue were copper, and the legs of the statue were iron. And it is said that the gold is Babylon, and the silver is Persia, and the copper is Greece, and the iron legs are Rome, etc. So we are still in the Roman Gullus, which is the longest of all Gullius, the longest of all. But what's interesting is there is a medrash that actually says that Biacharis Hayamim, in the end of days, there will be a fifth exile that is added on to the fourth. No, no, we've experienced you'll see. Meaning it's not a separate exile, but it's kind of version version two of Gullus Edom. We're in Edom, but
but there'll be an addition, and that'll be the exile of Yishmael. Think about this. Yishmael, now Yishmael was not Muslim, obviously. Yishmael lived way before Islam, but Yishmael is the founder of the Arab nations. The Arabs are descended from Yishmael. And Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer said more than a thousand years ago that before Mashiach, there will be a tremendous ascendancy of the children of Yishmael against the Jewish people. And that'll be the most dangerous of all the exiles because Yishmael is the only nation besides Yisrael that has God's name in their national name. Aleph Lamed, Kale, we pronounce it, is Hashem's name. Yisrael, Yishmael. Yishmael has God's name in his name. Yishmael has certain spiritual merits. Yishmael was given the commandment of circumcision. Yishmael prays, Davids, five times a day, which we only do on Yom Kippur. Granted, their prayers are very short, but they do it. Yishmael, this, now this would be so strange, has certain levels of tzniyos, modesty. These are spiritual, these are spiritual merits. Now it's hard to understand why Hashem should give spiritual merit to people who do evil. It's hard to understand that. But there is such an idea that Yishmael is the most dangerous enemy of all. Because since Yishmael comes with spiritual power, they can only be defeated by spiritual power. They cannot be defeated by physical power. The Asavs of the world come with brute force, so our spirituality can defeat brute force. But one who comes with spiritual merit, you need greater spiritual merit. And that is why Yishmael is the great... Well, and by the way, Maral points out that towards the Mashiach, Yishmael will collaborate with Paras to, to try to destroy the Jewish people. Now, this is quite amazing. Paras is Persia. Which is an Arab country. No, it's not an Arab country. It's, an, it's a Muslim country. Modern Persia is called Iran. So what is the great danger we face? The collaboration of Arabs with Iran. Nuclear war, all of those different things. Maral, this was all predicted as part of the last, last Golas. And the only way you can defeat B'nai Yishmael is through uh, spiritual means. And I think about this even in terms of the Arab, uh, Arabs here in Eretz Yisrael. You know, I live uh, right across the street from the Shimon HaTzadik train stop. That's where our Samaritan is. So I don't know if you've been there, but uh, around two years ago, three years ago, there were a number of terrorist incidents where people would just turn their cars. You're waiting, just waiting at the light rail stop, and they would just turn their cars into you and run you over. Now, if you think about that, how do you stop, how do you, I mean, Baruch Hashem, we have wonderful, wonderful police, wonderful security. Uh, the IDF does a tremendous job. They say that for every terrorist activity that's successful, there were 20 of them that were thwarted. We don't realize that. That, you know, they get like 20 out of 21 things they uncover. 
But there are certain things you just can't stop. How are you going to stop somebody from just turning? I mean, you're crossing a street. I mean, what's going to stop somebody who wants to run you over from running you over? It's impossible. What, take away, confiscate cars? And, and what are you going to do? So really, Hashem put us in a situation where there's really no way we can protect ourselves. But what does that mean? Only God protects you. And how do I protect myself? By opening myself up with Torah and mitzvot and, and connecting to Hashem, right? So Yishmael is a superimposed Golos on top of the end of Golos Edom. That's kind of the sad news and the difficult news. And of course, Islamic fundamentalism, which is from the Arabs mainly, has paralyzed the world, not just, not just in Israel. Where people say, oh, I can't move to Israel because Israel is so dangerous. I feel more safe here than in Yeah, I mean, let's, let's talk about the school shootings in the United States and, and talk about everything that's going on in England and in Germany and in France. No, no place is safe. The world is falling apart. The world is disintegrating. Um, by the way, some say that Gogumago could even be a plague as opposed to a war. So some even have said COVID could have been Gogumago in that way. Now, COVID was pretty devastating, but, but it was not just the disease that was devastating. It was the response to the disease that was devastating in terms of economies being wiped out, you know, in terms of isolation. People don't realize that there are many, many, many casualties of COVID who never got COVID. They didn't die from COVID. They died from a million other things because of the sh- shutdowns and, and, and everything else. So when the world falls apart, you get very, very panicky, but then you realize this shows me that only Hashem can take me out of this, and then I can feel a certain amount of comfort. But now let me just end with some good news. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Um, how did they decide that the war with the Arab, with the Muslims, sorry, like with Ishmael would be the last. What about Nazi Germany? That was just like a blip. <laughs> no, it wasn't, it wasn't a blip. It was an awful thing, but it's not the, the Mamish last. I mean, again, this goes back to a Medrash. This was not uh, just uh, a made-up thing later. Uh, the Medrash, before any of this happened, saw that Yishmael is going to have an, ascend- an ascendancy. That's going to be very, very difficult for Am Yisrael. But, but let me just give you some good news. We know that after Sarah died, Avram took another wife whose name was Keturah. And from Keturah, he had other children. Now, that's what the Torah says. Rashi brings that, in fact, Keturah was another name for Hagar that he had sent away. But she was called Keturah because she now became a righteous woman and her deeds are as pleasant as Keturus. Keturus is incense. So Keturah became a righteous woman. And Rashi brings Yishmael too, who is Keturah's son, Hagar's son, will do tshuva. Or, I'm sorry, did do tshuva, did do tshuva, and came back to Avram. It's a beautiful thing. Yishmael did tshuva. So some Midrashim say the same way Yishmael was expelled but did tshuva, the descendants of Yishmael will come to do tshuva at the end of days and reunite with the Jewish people. Now, we've seen that as well. We've seen Islamic fundamentalism. We've seen 9-11. We've seen all of these different tragedies, and they're still going on. But we also see what's called the Abrahamic Accords, 
United Arab Emirates makes peace with Israel. I think there are two Chabad houses in the UAH. If you want to go to an interesting place for Pesach, hold on. There's no I, signs, just I, right. I would not recommend uh, leaving Yerushalayim. Why should you leave Yerushalayim? But you know, if, if you're not going to be here anyway, you might go to the Emirates for the kosher restaurants and, and the like. Uh, yeah, there are no signs yet. Now, granted, I'm not saying that the Emirates are doing it because they love Hashem. I mean, they're doing it ultimately for money. It's a good economic deal to do business with Israel. Like, why should they deprive themselves of that? But it does mean that even the B'nai Yishmael are moving closer and closer to the Jewish people. And that could be a fulfillment of the idea that the B'nai Yishmael are going to do tshuva. So side by side, both things are happening at the same time. You have the wars of B'nai Yishmael, the Palestinian uprest, Iran, which is Persia, collaborating with Yishmael as Maral predicted. And then at the same time, you have B'nai Yishmael doing tshuva with the Abrahamic Accords. And it is very clear, because and anything could change because this is a very volatile situation, but once you have the Emirates, Saudi Arabia is not going to be far behind uh, in many ways because uh, they go where the money is. And uh, you know the whole Middle East can, can change very, very uh, radically. And all of this is preparing the ground for uh, the nations of the world also accepting Mashiach and, and the like. So this is just uh, some general points to keep in mind. Uh, I think it is important, uh, going back to the Mashiachist and the non-Mashiachist and all of the controversies, that people should at least have the basic information. So then when they hear the different uh, arguments, they're able to link them to kind of the fundamental ideas. And then, you know, uh, again, I'm not here to tell you anything uh, other than give you this introduction you so you can think about it. Again? Well, you look and you think, and uh, you know, you, you ultimately you come to your own decision. Really, this is not something that you know the, the average rabbi can just tell you what to believe. I mean, you know, the great great gadol tells you something. That's one thing. Your own rabbi tells you something. Uh, but as I say, a, a lot of it is you have to decide, or and, and sometimes your decision could be, I don't know. That's a legitimate literary decision. I don't know. In fact, I think that's what the Rambam would say. The Rambam would say on a lot of these things, I don't know. I hope, I pray, Be'ezra Sashem, it should be the case. I don't know. And that's a reasonable approach uh, as, as well. Okay, uh, we'll stop here and uh, you all take care and have a Chodesh Tov. And uh, I hope that uh, Gimel Tama should be a day of, of reflection and Cheshpin Nefesh and uh, remembering, remembering all that uh, we can learn and continue to learn from the Rebbe's holy, very holy life. Okay. Thank you so much, Alan. Okay. Uh, yeah. Will this assume that the Nishma will ascend? We'll do tshuva or what? No, that will. That will. I'm just. I didn't hear you. That will ascend. Oh yes, yes, yes. This is Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer. This is the Medrash. Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer, Perek Lamed, Chapter Thirty. This is a medrash. This is a regular medrash of Chazal. This is an official medrash. Do you have the statements about to, um, like, like, what about Yishmael, like we did with, um, with Yishmael?